Looking for practical information to help you make decisions about your diagnosis, whether DCIS, early or metastatic breast cancer? BCNA's My Journey features articles, webcasts, videos and podcasts about breast cancer during treatment and beyond to help you, your friends and family as you progress through your journey. It also features a symptom tracker to help you manage the changing symptoms you may encounter during your own breast cancer experience. My Journey. Download the app or sign up online at myjourney.org.au. Let's be upfront about invasive lobular carcinoma. It's the second most common type of breast cancer and yet it typically isn't easily detected on mammogram because it doesn't present as a lump in the breast. Joining us is breast surgeon, Professor Bruce Mann, and we're going to discuss the different types of invasive lobular cancers, possible treatments, and what the future might hold to assist earlier diagnosis. Professor Bruce Mann, welcome back to Upfront. It's good to have you with us again. Thank you. Delighted to be here. So can you explain what invasive lobular carcinoma actually is? Okay. Lobular carcinoma is is a type of invasive cancer and it often comes up in pathology reports and people want to know know, what it means, what's the difference. what, what it is, it's, it's, it's a cancer that has a different appearance under the microscope and it has possibly different cell of origin. Um, and during the talk, we'll, we'll work out, we'll talk about how it behaves a little differently. Um, but in general, it's, it's one of the subtypes of cancer. Uh, the two main subtypes are ductal carcinoma and lobular carcinoma. The simple way to think about that is that in the breast there are lobules that make milk, there are ducts that take milk from from where it's made to the nipple. The lobular carcinomas arise from the lobules, the ductal carcinomas arise from the ducts or the cells lining the ducts. Now whether that is actually the case, I think there's, there's still work to be done. But that's a simple way of looking at it. Okay, so the invasive lobular carcinoma is actually the second most common type of breast cancer. It is the second of the invasive cancers. So we talk about pre-invasive carcinoma, the, the, the DCIS, and the invasive cancers, the actual cancers. Uh, the, the commonest is ductal carcinoma. They, they actually say ductal carcinoma not otherwise specified, so not one of the, the, the unusual subtypes. And then there's the lobular carcinoma. The incidence, maybe 15 to 20% of all breast cancers are lobular carcinomas. Is one more aggressive than another? Um, for a cancer of the same size and the same stage, they're about the same. Um, it's not worse to have a lobular carcinoma or a ductal carcinoma. If one has to have a cancer, you would prefer it to be small, you would prefer it not to be in the lymph nodes, you'd prefer it to be low grade. Um, They're the things that you really want, in Mm -hmm. inverted commas. Uh, Whether it's ductal or lobular doesn't matter too much. Okay. So lobular carcinomas can be difficult to see on mammograms. Can you explain why that is? That's the issue. The the lobular carcinomas, they tend to spread, they tend to be diffuse. So the cancer cells will spread through the normal breast tissue 
and they don't form a lump the same way as as ductal carcinomas tend to. This is general terms. There are lobular carcinomas that are little lumps, but but generally um, the the lobular carcinomas they're they're diffuse, so they can be widespread before the woman's aware that anything's changed or or the change isn't so much a lump but just a general change. And importantly, sometimes they're not seen on mammograms. So of the cancers where a woman's had a normal mammogram and then turns out to have a large cancer that is not seen on the mammogram or not appreciated, it's more common that it's a lobular carcinoma. Because it doesn't necessarily present as a lump. It doesn't form a lump. To, no, you, your, your words are exactly right. doesn't necessarily form a lump. Okay, so what are some of the other imaging tests that would assist diagnosis? Um, the standard tests are useful. So mammograms can be abnormal, uh, often are abnormal. The abnormalities may be subtle. Um, uh, ultrasounds, again, are often abnormal, are sometimes fairly normal. Sometimes they they look like a typical breast cancer, but sometimes it's a diffuse change and it may be um, not appreciated that there is a change there. So... And, and well, the third one is an MRI. Again, MRIs uh, are useful with lobular carcinomas and it, it is an area where the MRI... Uh, may be more sensitive, may be more accurate than uh, the standard mammogram and ultrasound. Okay, um, we're hearing more about research into the role of artificial intelligence and the use of computer algorithms mm. to assist yeah. in, in diagnosis. So what exactly is this and how could it improve detection? So uh, I'm not a computer scientist, <laughs> I'm not a specialist in AI, but basically... Um, the the algorithms, the deep learning means that the computer is presented with examples of a particular condition. In this case, it would be a breast cancer on a mammogram, maybe a lobular carcinoma on a mammogram. Uh, it's shown many of them. It's essentially told this is what it looks like. It then analyzes them, compares them to normal, and it can identify, the program can identify abnormalities that may suggest there's a cancer there. Uh, the work in breast cancer is that it is a lot of work's being done, it's making progress, and many of us expect that before too long, um, AI is going to have a role in assessment of mammograms. Exactly when, where, how, we, we don't know, but uh, it could be that one of the things that, that the AI is better able to detect these subtle changes, and maybe, it's just a maybe, um, that, that, that lobular cancer is an area that it will help. So given that it doesn't uh, typically present as a lump, does it quite often result in that type of breast cancer being diagnosed further advanced? That's the, that's the issue. When you asked earlier, is it worse, my answer was specific. It's for the same size, for the same nodes, it's no worse. But if it's less obvious, it it can present quite quite late. So and we is have that what you're usually finding? I mean, given that it, it is harder to detect, it, does it make sense that it is diagnosed later? Um, I don't think when you say usually, I think most lobular cancers are found when they're fairly small. 
but of the cancers that are large, so throughout much of the breast at the time of diagnosis, lobular cancers are disproportionate. Mm -hmm. So more of those cancers are lobular than the number of lobular cancers overall. Are there any telltale signs given in the absence of a lump? Is there anything that someone could look for? I, I think this is where the advice of if something's not right, make sure it's checked properly. Uh, a number of patients I've seen have reflected and they've essentially said, look, something wasn't quite right, but there wasn't a lump and I couldn't really feel something. And I'd, I'd had a mammogram you know, last year and it was normal, so I thought it must be nothing. You know, that, that's a story that we hear a bit. Um, so what can it be when I see someone who, who has the more advanced, the, the larger lobular cancer, it's often the whole breast, the, the affected breast is different from the other, but within that breast, there's no single lump. There's nothing to say, look, you know, here is the spot that's abnormal. It's just the whole thing. Um, well, not always the whole thing. A, a larger area is, is more subtly different. So that goes back to the, something didn't feel right, but I'm not sure what it was. Um, that's where we as, you know, the radiologists, uh, the, the surgeons are aware and the, the women need to be aware as well. OK, let's talk treatment of invasive mm. lobular carcinoma. Yep. What, are the, what, what so, are the ways that you treat? OK, so one thing to mention before that is there is some suggestion that lobular cancer is more likely to be multifocal, meaning... If someone has has a lobular carcinoma in, say, the left breast, that there's uh, a significant chance of having a separate lobular carcinoma in the right breast. This is something that was sort of viewed as a fact when I was learning this stuff. Um, more recently, the evidence doesn't really support it. Okay. So the idea that it's multifocal, you know, two foci or multicentric to uh, or bilateral, uh, the idea that it is commonly uh, bilateral or multicentric uh, is not supported. There are cases where it is, but similarly there are cases of ductal carcinoma uh, where someone has two cancers. Mm. So if someone has been diagnosed with um, ILC in one breast, they shouldn't panic and think, oh, they've missed it in a second. They shouldn't panic. Um, if someone has a cancer in one breast, the other breast must be uh, closely assessed you know, with appropriate examination and imaging because m bilateral cancer can occur, but it can occur in any situation. Um, as far as treatment, the, the approach to treatment is very similar to the approach with a ductal carcinoma. What we do is we assess... Uh, the nature of the cancer, so that's the subtype, the, the receptors, um, whether it's HER2 positive or negative, we need to know exactly what we're dealing with. Uh, we assess how, how extensive it is in the breast uh, and then we assess the lymph nodes, whether the nodes appear to be involved or not. Assessment in the breast is a little more difficult because, as I said before, it's not so much a lump, it can be diffuse. And that's where extra imaging and uh, potentially use of an MRI scan uh, prior to surgery or during the assessment uh, uh, can have a role. Uh, I don't think it's needed 
always, but but it certainly is an important thing to think about. So are we talking like a, for visual uses, like a little cluster? When you see it under the microscope, there can be, cells can be lined up, single file cells spreading through otherwise normal tissue. Okay. And that can be over quite a large area. Um, so often there is the, the main cancer, you know, the, the central part, and it's just lots and lots of abnormal cells. But when the pathologist examines the area around it, uh, rather than it being normal breast tissue, often they can point out like little rows of cells where, it, where it's sort of streaming away, field, okay. or it looks like it's streaming away from the main cancer. Uh, so assessment of the true extent is important and can be difficult. Um, but as far as treatment's concerned, once you've determined um, the extent, the treatments that we use in lobular cancer are much the same. Uh, surgery is important, radiation's often important. Most lobular cancers are hormone sensitive, so they usually, the cells usually, not quite always, but usually uh, have the receptors for oestrogen and progesterones, the female hormones. So hormonal blocking treatments, and there's various types, uh, are a very important part of treatment of lobular cancer, and we could come back to, to that a little. Uh, most lobular cancers are HER2 negative, so that's the oncogene. The, if it's, if uh, HER2 positive cancers can be treated with drugs like Herceptin, um, that is sometimes useful in lobular cancer, but most lobular cancers are HER2 negative. Um, most lobular cancers are, are grade two, and reminding everyone the grade is how aggressive a cancer looks like under the microscope. It goes one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. Three is more aggressive. Most lobular cancers are grade two, but some of them are more aggressive and are grade three. And they're the ones where chemotherapy is more likely to have a role, um, whereas the standard grade two lobular cancer, chemotherapy may have a role. It's something that the oncologist will, will always consider and discuss, um, but it is less important than in some other types of cancer. BCNA's Helpline provides a free, confidential phone and email service for people diagnosed with breast cancer. BCNA's experienced team will help with your questions and concerns and provide relevant resources and services. Call 1800 500 258 or email contact at bcna.org.au. Is there, as far as the treatment, is it common given that it is in a row and therefore coming over a slightly possible larger area, are they more likely, say, with a grade three to treat with chemotherapy first before surgery? Uh, that's a great question because, as you and listeners will know, one of the, um, the things that is changing in breast cancer is we are more often using primary systemic therapy, either chemotherapy or, or hormonal therapy. Um, the judgment is for lobular cancers is fairly similar to other cancers. Because lobular cancers are often very hormone sensitive, so strong ER and PR, estrogen receptor and progesterone receptor, turns out that many lobular cancers are relatively chemotherapy resistant. So they're not as sensitive to chemotherapy, 
Now, this, this is where it, it always gets difficult, but if you've got uh, a case, so a woman has a cancer that is likely to be chemotherapy resistant, we are generally fairly reluctant to start with chemotherapy. Yes. You, know, you don't want to leave the cancer there treating it with something to which it may be resistant. So uh, some lobular cancers, we certainly do use neoadjuvant and they, as you point out, the grade three, if they are HER2 positive, that's the, the ones where Herceptin can be used, we will often use preoperative chemotherapy. But lobulars are one where uh, primary surgery remains, remains a, uh, a probably the, the commonest approach. Okay. And given again that it's uh, not necessarily a lump or it's a bit mm. more spread out, is a lumpectomy usually what happens or do you see more mastectomies? On, uh, again, these exactly the questions, the things need, that people need to be aware of. Uh, because of its nature, you know, if they are larger and you can't be sure of how extensive, breast conservation is less likely to be successful, yes, yes. which means either the initial assessment is such that it, it's apparent that mastectomy is the only reasonable approach, or alternatively, the cancer may appear small enough so that breast conserving surgery is possible, but at surgery, if we find that the margins are positive, if there is additional disease, it may be that as a second procedure, we need to, to recommend and do a mastectomy. Okay. So let's talk the hormonal blocking mm. option. Yes. So um, hormonal therapy, um, we use it hormonal therapy, but your wording is correct. It's, it's hormone blocking. It's either blocking or reduction of circulating levels. Um, we often, in, uh, often refer to it as endocrine therapy, but in common parlance it will often be called hormone therapy. That confuses people because they hear, well, hormone replacement therapy may increase the risk of breast cancer yes. and now you're going to give me hormone therapy? Yeah. You know, go figure. Um, but it is actually, it's a hormone blocking therapy. The main drugs are tamoxifen which interferes with the way that oestrogen interacts with cells. And forces menopause, yes. Um, not so much. So oestrogen okay. uh, is effective in women before menopause. It can lead to an alteration in periods. It's certain, or, but not necessarily, it certainly can lead to some menopausal side effects. So, you know, the, the symptoms that a woman may suffer, it's may, not always, may suffer while on tamoxifen can be very similar to menopausal symptoms. Um, but so tamoxifen will, it will interfere with the way that oestrogen acts on the cells. The other drugs, so the, they're called the aromatase inhibitors, uh, anastrozole and letrozole and exemestane are the common ones, often referred to by their trade names of Arimidex, uh, Famara, um, um, those ones, they reduce the amount of oestrogen circulating in a woman after menopause. So that's a hormone reducing and if there's less circulating, there's less that could act on cells. And then the final method of hormonal treatment or hormone blocking for premenopausal women's is actually to do something to to render that woman menopausal, so, okay. so suppressing ovary function. So you do take into account the woman's age, then. Where age and menopause 
menopausal you know, status, pre or, or postmenopausal, really very important. So there's a lot of introduction there to the question, hormonal blocking, so endocrine therapies are a very important part of treatment of, of lobular cancer. Um, we use, we are more likely to rely on those therapies than, so more of that and less chemotherapy okay. on average. Because of the resistance? Because they may be chemo resistant. Mm -hmm. There is a possibility, I'm not sure how strongly to put it, um, there was a big study that was done comparing the effectiveness of tamoxifen, the traditional treatment with the aromatase inhibitors, the new ones, the uh, Arumidex and, and uh, Femara, and an analysis of the trial, overall the trials said that the AIs, the aromatase inhibitors, are slightly more effective at preventing breast cancer recurrence than tamoxifen overall. And that has led to uh, a, a lot more use of the AIs. Okay. There was an analysis of that paper, of the patients in the paper, that suggested that the women who particularly gained, benefited from the AIs rather than tamoxifen, are those with lobular cancer. Now, it would, they, and it would almost, one analysis goes to far, so far as to say that most of the, the advantage of AIs over tamoxifen is in the group with lobular cancer. Uh, we don't know that for sure. These analyses have to be, be looked at very carefully. But many of us use that to, to say that if a woman has a lobular cancer that is, is higher risk, that the aromatase inhibitors uh, are important, that, that there's enough evidence to suggest that those women should be given uh, aromatase inhibitors in preference to tamoxifen. Okay. There's a broad statement, not doesn't apply to everyone, and as always, ask your oncologist. Um, but it is out there, and, and many of us think there might be something to that. Why do you know, if you know, is it resistant to chemotherapy? As a general rule, cancers that are... That, um, the, the, the strongly hormone-sensitive cancers tend to be to be slower growing, they divide a little less slow, they divide you know, less rapidly, and cells that are dividing less rapidly tend to be resistant to chemotherapy because okay. chemotherapy generally works during cell division. Okay, what about other um, targeted treatments or potential? So the targeted treatment, Herceptin, Pegeta, those drugs, they uh, are highly effective, but only in HER2 positive cancers. Um, the classical lobular cancer is HER2 negative, and therefore those drugs don't have a role. But every so often we certainly see a, uh, a HER2 positive lobular cancer, and we will treat them with those, those medicines in the usual manner. You know, we will often ask the pathologist, this is unusual, and the answer is, yes, it is, but it is a HER2 positive lobular. They, they, um, they can go together. Okay, so what about uh, the chance of recurrence? Is it greater with lobular cancer or any different? Stage for stage, they're the same. Okay. So a small node negative lobular cancer treated conventionally, it's very unlikely that it will recur. 
a large multiply node positive lobular cancer, highly treatable, and we, we treat that we aim to cure, but we know that unfortunately uh, women who've, who've had and been treated for those cancers have a higher risk of recurrence. Um, receptor positive cancers often recur late, so um, depending on the, the type of cancer, some of the, the more aggressive, the receptor negative cancers, particularly the triple negative cancers, uh, if they're going to recur, those often occur usually, not only often, usually occur in the first five years and late recurrences are uncommon. With lobular cancer, like other highly hormone-sensitive cancers, less likely to recur early, but there are a, a small number of cases that can occur, can recur many, many years after diagnosis. Okay, and as we know with triple negative, that's uh, very much seen in younger women. Do we tend to see a, a demographic with... Um, Good question. I didn't do my homework well enough. I think the distribution is the same. Okay. I think it, it roughly matches the, you know, the population. So mm. more in older women. I, you know, seeing a lobular cancer in an old, older lady isn't particularly surprising. Um, in a younger woman, uh, it's, it's a, a standard distribution. Okay. And the final word then on lobular cancer to uh, uh, someone uh, who is... Well, it's hard to get me to just have final one word, but no. there's a have couple ten. of points. <laughs> one of them is what we talked about. If, if the breast feels different, if something's wrong, make sure you're treated, assessed, treated seriously and assessed properly. Because I'm sure many people would not be aware. Everyone is just mm. so well educated mm. on feeling for lumps. Yeah. Yeah, so that's important. Now, you know, breasts often, you know, women come and, you know, something feels wrong, we do all the assessment and we cannot find anything and with years of follow-up there was nothing. So it doesn't mean there will be, but that's point number one. Point number two is when, if someone unfortunately has a cancer and it's a lobular cancer, it's not the end of the world. These are, you know, highly treatable, successfully treated in most cases. Um, and the, the treatment might be just a little different, but it's not, it's not a disaster to have a lobular cancer. Well, it's, it's no worse having a lobular cancer than any other cancer. Um, and uh, they're my final words. <laughs> Thanks, Bruce, for chatting with us. And as you mentioned earlier, if you have any individual concerns, please contact your health team. The opinions of our guests are welcome, but not necessarily shared by BCNA. And be sure to take a look at our website for some great resources and links to more information on invasive lobular carcinoma. This episode was made with thanks to Cancer Australia. I'm Kelly Curtin. It's great to be upfront with you.